everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW show where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news of the week. As always with Bayern Munich, there is a ton to talk about, not the least of which is the excellent form that the squad has shown over its past two games. This week, Bayern was great in blowing out SC Freiburg. And then holding off a very feisty FC Augsburg team, but doing it in a dominant fashion. Uh, I was really impressed with Bayern Munich this week. Was very happy with what I saw and how the team has rallied around. Julian Nagelsmann has rallied around itself when it comes to warding off injuries and battling through the players that have been out. I have a lot of good things to say about Bayern Munich these days. So why don't we get right to it? I'm not going to lament that Phillies game from Thursday where they let San Diego tie up the series. Of course, my inner Philly fan is uh, is really brooding from the inside. It's hurting, but uh, I will battle through that and look forward to Friday night's playoff game, which will be in Philadelphia and hopefully yield a better result for my Phillies. But that's beside the point. Let's get right down to it. First thing I learned this week is that Bayern Munich really might be turning the corner under Julian Nagelsmann for this season. And I want to be very clear about this. I think Bayern is a favorite for the Champions League. I think that Bayern Munich is one of the best teams left in the Champions League competition. They're one of the top three or four, I would say. I don't have the expectation this season that they will win the Champions League. I think that Bayern has some issues with its roster. I think Bayern has a playing style that can sometimes lead it to a series of roller coaster performances. And if you get it on a down day against any team, it might not look good. But what I will say that I learned this week is that this squad is showing such great resilience that they are battling through so many injuries. They are coming back strong and they are rallying around each other. And it's a very, very encouraging sign because there have been a lot of ups and downs, uh, not just on the field, but off the field. And I think that one of the things that many fans have been looking toward is seeing how this team would be able to manage this first half heading into this oddly timed World Cup and seeing how they would be able to work under Nagelsmann, adjust to the different systems that he's been using, adjust to all the players that have been in, out, been in and out of the lineup due to injury. And I have to say, for as frustrating as some of those draws were in September, this is showing me, the way the team has played of late, is really showing me that they've got something here. Is it win the Champions League something? I don't know. I don't think it is at this point. But I think that they have started to embrace each other. And that's the most important thing I think we can take out of this. They're learning how to play better together. And sure, I know a lot of people will point to Sadio Mane's off match in the day of Bay Pokal. And yeah, he was not great. Um, we have seen this from him several times so far. But I do think the extenuating circumstances, all of the the games that he's played in of late, having to fly to France and back for the Ballon d'Or ceremonies, I don't think it was wise to start him against Augsburg. I understand why Nagelsmann did it. He's really shorthanded. Mane, while he has a 
very generous nature and is is not self-centered. I think he's a bit high maintenance with his playing time. And I think Nagelsmann is doing his best not to alienate Mane at this point. So he gave him the run. He let him play. Did not go well. And he got the quick hook, which was deserved. And I think Nagelsmann did the right thing. He tried to make it work. Clearly wasn't there. But someone else stepped up. And I think that that's what we really have been looking to see. For everything that's been talked about, for all of the drama in the locker room, is the team embracing Nagelsmann, are players unhappy? What we're seeing is that a lot of that is just getting pushed aside when push comes to shove. When the games start to count and the team needs to do something, Bayern Munich is really starting to rally. And the word resilience, I'll, I'll probably use it a lot if Bayern continues to play this way because it does take a special kind of mentality to be able to battle through all of these injuries. I mean, just when you thought you might have Thomas Muller back to start in the Pokal, he couldn't go. Who stepped up? Jamal Musiala, who we also weren't sure would be able to start. Uh, when you look at people that have been able to step up and, and raise their level of play of late, We've seen great performances from Leon Goretzka, who it was not terrible when he came back off injury, but he wasn't himself. Now it looks like he's starting to round into form. Eric Maxim Chupomoting, listen, he is what he is. He is a backup striker. He is a, a very valuable tool to have on the team. I mean, it's a it's a great option to have a backup like Chupo to be able to come into games late, to be able to fill in when needed. But he has stepped up and I don't know if he's a starting caliber striker at a club like Bayern Munich. In fact, I would go as far to say he's not. (laughs) But being able to raise your level of play, being able to step in and get things done when the team needs you to says a lot about a player. And I think that's one of the reasons why Brazo has been so adamant about keeping him around, why Julian Nagelsmann likes having him there, why Hansi Flick wanted him there. There are a lot of good things about having players like Chupo around, and he is a team-first guy. He is all about trying to help the team, whether that means coming in, trying to put his head on the ball late in the match to help tie a game, whether that means distributing the ball from his position at striker to to get the wings more involved in the offense. There are a lot of different things that he can do, and I was really happy to see that he was able to come in, step up, and we've just seen it time and time again with some of the players on this team. When, when the team needs a needs a spark. Musiala has been there. Alfonso Davies has been very, very good of late. And listen, I've been a bit of a critic of Davies and it's not because I don't like him as a player. I think he's such a dynamic talent and he's got so much ability that I want to see him start to, to work on those finer parts of his game. And yeah, I do think he loses the ball a little too much, but when he plays like he did against Augsburg, where he's such a threat and such a disturbance to the opposition's back line, you can almost look past how much he's been losing the ball and he's, he's losing it a lot, but he, when he's playing like that and Byron's defense is able to adjust and cover for him when he leaves that gap in the defense, it makes a huge difference. Now we don't always see that sometimes when Davies pushes up too far, we do see that gap that leads to counterattacks. But right now, Davies seems to be picking and choosing his spots much more wisely. We've gotten a great season out of Benjamin Pavar. Yashua Kimmich has been very, very good. And the attackers have been a carousel of who's hot and who's not. But in the end, someone is always hot. So 
it's just a matter of Nagelsmann pushing the right buttons on the right day. But resilience, this team is showing it. They're battling through everything. This is not going to be an easy season, not just because of the opposition, not just because of who they might get matched up in the Champions League, but having to battle with the World Cup being there, having so many players on World Cup rosters, it's going to be very, very difficult for teams to stay healthy, teams to stay in form, and just to stay sharp. So Bayern is really rallying around each other. They're doing well. And, hey, I, I'm I'm happy. I think that they have turned a corner. I think that they're really starting to pick up their play. And, sure, there are going to be some off games, but they are looking much better. They are playing much more sharp and much more confident, and I really like what I'm seeing. The second thing we learned this week is that Liverpool and Chelsea are both hot in pursuit of rumored rumored Bayern Munich transfer target, Conrad Leimer, the RB Leipzig midfielder. Now, we have talked about Leimer quite a bit, and I don't see the need for him on this roster. I really, really don't. Uh, I, I And we'll talk – one of the reasons <laughs> that, that I don't see that we'll talk about in just a bit, but – Limer is is very good at what he does. He is a, a ball winner. He is not quite uh, an offensive-minded midfielder. I would say he's more on the defensive aspect of things, which would be very good at Bayern Munich because we've seen that when Marcel Sabitzer has sacrificed his offense to, to take a more defensive role, how well that has worked. Um, but with Limer, for all of his good qualities, and he's got many, I just don't see how bringing him in one would be good for him because I I still don't think he's capable of knocking Kimmich or Goretzka out of the starting lineup. Two, I don't see how it's good for the squad. Aside of depth, it just creates an issue with another player who might not get a lot of playing time who's going to feel like he needs a lot of playing time. And with Marcel Sabitzer already kind of being pushed to the bench at midfield. And 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 listen, he's getting pushed to the bench after doing really, really well. That's got to be a tough situation for him, especially after what happened last season when he just couldn't get acclimated. Uh, I don't see how this is going to work with bringing Limer in. Liverpool and Chelsea are both fine options. I think going to work for Klopp would be extremely uh, beneficial for Limer. As far as Chelsea goes, I, I just – you know, that is a very good squad. They have a lot of talent. It's just too much upheaval, too many moving parts. Uh, they just seem to gather more and more talent, even worse than Bayern Munich, really. They just keep bringing more and more in and not really having room for it all. Uh, if I were Limer, I would I would look at Liverpool. I would look at Chelsea, but I don't know that I would narrow my choices just to those two clubs. Uh, and and I get that Bayern is still considered the leader in the clubhouse, and I get that Limer allegedly really wants to play for Bayern. But as we know, it, sometimes you can't get what you want, right? Like <laughs> I wanted Erling Haaland at Bayern Munich. That didn't happen. So for Limer, I think he's going to have some very interesting choices. I wouldn't even rule out him re-signing with RB Leipzig because I think that they can – one, afford him, and two, offer him the situation that he wants and that he needs at this stage of his career in terms of playing time, being able to play in, in the Champions League, and, and really giving him exposure that could maybe even boost his profile even more. So Weimer has a lot of good things going for him. He's got a lot of possibility as he heads in the next summer, and being a free agent, you know, of course, we're seeing Bayern, Liverpool, and Chelsea all linked to him, but I'm sure that there will be many, many more clubs 
looking to get a bargain uh, in Conrad Limer. And I think that whoever lands him will be very happy. It's just a matter of, can he go to a club where he's going to be an impact player, where he's going to be a starter? And if I were Limer, that's what I'd be looking at. I wouldn't really be looking at the name of the club. I'd be looking at what the best situation is for me. The third thing that we learned this week, and this was a crazy one that came up very late in the week, uh, in fact, it is the lead item in the Friday Daily Schmalker is that Bayern Munich is allegedly, and I'm going to use allegedly very loosely here, plotting a January move for Atletico Madrid attacker Jao Felix. Now, there is zero chance that Bayern Munich is going to pull a nine-figure transfer in January. Let's get that out of the way. That is not going to happen. I don't think that the club has any interest in doing that. I don't think that they're financially ready in any capacity to be able to pull off a move like that. Felix is a, a good young attacker. I, I don't <laughs> I don't know what position he plays, to be honest. He's one of these guys who, to me, fits into that Kai Havertz mold where he is, to me, looks more like a 10 than a 9, though some teams would use him as a 9. He can play wing. Uh, he, he is very reminiscent to Havertz uh, as far as a player comparison to me. I know that Felix is really well regarded and that Bayern Munich's executives really do like him and they really do want him. But there is a zero shot that they are going to buck up nine figures, especially after we know that Atletico Madrid just turned down over the summer a nine figure, 130 million euro offer from Manchester United for Felix. And if they're turning down 130 million, they are not going to get anywhere near that much from Bayern Munich. So I don't think there's any shot that happens. PSG was also linked to a similar move for Felix. That could happen only because they have just money coming out every pocket, every couch cushion, uh, in between the seat of the car and the console, everywhere. It's it is everywhere. For PSG, So if they wanted him and Atletico Madrid was willing to sell him this January, yeah, that could happen. But I don't see Bayern Munich being a player here. I do think at some point Bayern will start to get serious about a pursuit of Jao Felix. I just don't think it's going to be anytime soon. Now, if Nagelsmann were to keep this 4 2 system, Felix would be a player that could conceivably... Uh, be a great fit because he is able to move around and be fluid and play different positions. I just don't think it's happening in January. If Byron does opt to pursue Felix, it'll probably be in a couple of years, but I don't know that they will ever be in a position financially to pay the kind of money that it might require to get him. So Jal Felix, I think it's a pipe dream. I don't think there's any chance that Byron Munich will get him, but We'll see what happens. I, I don't think he personally, personally, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he'll be with Atletico Madrid for quite a while. Uh, even if he is in the doghouse right now, I, I don't think it's a big deal. It's something that a lot of young players go through. And I think that he will absolutely uh, turn things around and, and probably uh, make his profile uh, even a little higher uh, than it is right now and make him a little, make himself a little bit more popular in the trans market in doing so as well. Oh, this one's tough. The fourth thing that we learned this week is that Ryan Gravenberg is still unhappy. Now, I get it. Um, And we've talked about Gravenberg at length because 
I never understood why he would want to go to a club like Bayern Munich at this stage where he is ready for playing time. And a couple of weeks back, I really took his agency to task for, for really leading him down the path uh, of, of making this move when playing time was going to be so important to him. I st- said it then and I'll say it now. I don't know how you could look at Bayern Munich's roster and you could say, oh, yeah, there'll be plenty of playing time. You have Yashua Kimmich, who literally needs to be chained up and pulled off the field by like four trucks. And you have Leon Gretzka, who when he is healthy, which is, you know, maybe that's what Gravenberg was gambling on. But when Gretzka is healthy, he has such a dynamic presence. It's very hard to take him off. Uh, it, it, it's it's very tough. And, and that doesn't even factor in that they had Marcel Sabitzer, who, while he may have fallen out of favor, favor at the club last season, clearly was still a good player and just needed to turn it around. And he's done that this year. So there are three very high quality options. Some would say world-class options on the roster. When you throw Gravenberg in as a young player, um, I just never saw how that was going to work. And if he continues to stay unhappy, I wasn't sure that this would happen so soon, but I, I do wonder if, he will start to push for a move and whether that's a loan or if it's a permanent transfer remains to be seen. But I don't see a a kid at his age who wants to be on the field really ever being happy sitting the bench. And I think that he had that taste of playing time at Ajax and he was an important player there and he drew rave reviews there. So to go from that playing for a very good Ajax team to coming to Bayern Munich having that higher profile, having that prestige that's associated with Bayern Munich, but then not playing. I mean, I don't care how nice the red jerseys are, how nice the facilities are, how well you're treated and all of that. If you really want to be out there and you really want to play and you can't get on the field, it's a problem. And I don't know that given the ages of Kimmich and Goretzka, that Gravenberg's going to be a serious option anytime soon. I just don't think it's it's possible. Barring any type of major injury, I still can't figure out what his agency was thinking. I can't figure out what his advisors, whether it was his family or his agency, whoever, like everyone that was guiding him down this path, did no one stop him and say, well, you know, they do have Yashua Kimmich, they have Leon Goretzka, they even have Marcel Sabitzer. Do you really think that you're going to be able to break into the lineup there? Now, if you say that to an athlete, they all think they're the greatest thing ever for the most part. I don't want to speak in too many generalities, but they do have pretty big egos, right? They they almost need them to be able to function at a world-class level. So if you say that to Gravenberg, he's probably going to say, well, that's not a problem. I can go in, do what I do, and win field time with my performance. The problem is, even if Gravenberg is good in training, he's got to be great because of not only the the level and the standard that has been established by players like Kimmich, Goretzka, and Sabitzer, you have to not just be as good as them, but you have to actually win the position from them. You can't just be at their level. You have to be better to usurp a position. And while Gravenberg may one day get there, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. And I'm very interested to see what happens with him and how he handles it the rest of the season and also how the club handles it. The one thing that I would say is that when Brazo is breaking out his infamous PowerPoints and he's selling these younger players on the club, 
Part of me, if I was a younger player at this stage, and I've seen some of the things that have happened with young players who have signed deals under Brazo to Brian, Bayern Munich, I would really start to wonder, is he selling me the club or am I just being used to be an asset? Am I am I someone who's going to go to the club, probably not play a lot, and then get so, turn around and sold a season or two later? Because we've seen it with Omar Richards. We've seen it with Mikel Croissants. We've seen it with many, many other players um, where they come in, they can't get the playing time they want. It's almost like a... It's almost like the Abe Simpson meme where you go in the door and then out uh, following uh, the, 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 the cycle there. But I do wonder what Brazo is selling these, these players and how they're buying it. We all know that's become internet lore that, that Brazo has these magical PowerPoints that, that allow him to close deals. And it's working, right? Like he's getting a lot of different players. He's getting a lot of the targets that they want. But at some point, I think you have to look at him as well and say, is he doing what's best for the player? Now, I know that that's not his job. I know his job is to do what's best for the club. But in some cases, as we found out, I guess it was last spring, Bayern Munich is going to look to invest in young players and have them kind of do some development and then turn around and sell them off, you know, two or three years later. They 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 are allegedly going to turn into a selling club, something that many people are in denial about that many people thought would never happen, but it looks like that they may go down that road with younger players. So while I get it and I know it's part of the game, if I was a younger player and I I got this great PowerPoint deck from Brazo, I would probably be a little bit skeptical because there's enough evidence, I think, floating around now that it's not always going to be what's best for you. And it's always going to sound good. It's always going to be great from a Bayern Munich perspective. And hell, the pay is always going to be great, let's be honest. And 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 for a lot of players, that's the most important thing is the pay. Um, regardless, I would still be a little bit skeptical of things, especially if you're in that, that age where you're 18 to 21 or 22. Um, it's very difficult to break into that Bayern Munich lineup. And I think it, that if you're the type of player that is only happy when you're playing, if you're the only, if you're the type of player that's only happy when you're out on the pitch, and that's the only thing that makes you happy, it's the only way that you find fun in the game. Then, you know, making that move to Bayern Munich might not necessarily be for you, and maybe that's what Ryan Gravenberg is finding out right now. The fifth and final thing that we learned this week, and uh, this was kind of crazy to me because. I didn't think of all things it would be a hold up and a deal for Erling Holland. It turns out that maybe the biggest hold up for for inking Holland was the fact that Bayern Munich would not agree to a release clause. Now, in recent weeks we've seen that uh, Holland has been linked already to Real Madrid uh that the rumor is that he is able to uh, a release clause would, would be able to be triggered in his contract uh, in the summer of 2024 for 150 million euro for any non-Premier League team, which is, is a very interesting clause, but I get why Manchester United would do that. I thought it was it was very interesting that when we saw the report come out this week uh, that Bayern Munich, you know, when they were having their talks, the infamous visit 
from for Holland to go to Brazo's house and have that personal meeting. Uh, and of course, there were other conversations that surely occurred in terms of seeing what the possibilities were for a deal. We know that there were probably multiple sessions of talks, uh, probably nothing as extensive as what Man City and, and Holland's camp did. But either way, uh, one of the things that was a holdup was that Bayern Munich would not agree to a release clause. It was very interesting to me because I totally understand that Bayern Munich would would want to, if they were making that kind of investment in the player, protect that investment and not just be able to allow a club like Barcelona or Real Madrid or PSG or whoever or Man City to come swoop in a couple of years later, drop down 150 million and take who will the player who will likely be the best striker on the planet at that time off your hands. I, I mean, if you go out and you want to invest the money in Erling Haaland the last summer, you want him for the, whatever the length of his contract is, that's how long you want. So I, I do understand it, but for me, as much as I wanted Haaland here, I would have taken the gamble because I think he's just that good and he's worth it. I, I think that if you could get Haaland for two or three seasons, uh, with the way Bayern Munich is structured at every other position, how strong they are defensively, the outside backs that they have, the midfielders that they have, the wings that they have. Imagine Holland when he gets, I don't know, another year of seasoning under his belt, playing with the speed Bayern has at wing, with the distribution that he would get from players like Kimmich and Goretzka how much he would benefit from a player like Davies breaking down the left side of a defense and having that freedom to make those hard runs forward and not have to worry that, you know, <laughs> his, his ability to cover so much ground on the field and, and create havoc and, and just basically go everywhere offensively would somehow leave the defense prone. Like we saw happen a few times at, at Borussia Dortmund when he was there. Um, Holland is just that good. So I, I don't know. I, I think about what he would be like at Bayern Munich. I think about just how different this season would be, but I do understand and I do get it that Man City was just not willing to give him that release clause. They're paying him a whole hell of a lot of money and, I'm sure that Bayern Munich could not match that either, but it was interesting nonetheless to see that the release clause was, was at least part of the reason that Erling Haaland did not ink a deal with Bayern Munich. But as we all know, I'm sure it was more about that money he was getting than the money that some clubs going have to pay for him in a couple of years to trigger that release clause. So that'll wrap up the footballing portion of this podcast. I do want to hit on a couple of quick shows. I'm going to start with the Walking Dead First, because this will take about a sentence. It's still not great. The last episode was probably better than uh, what we've seen so far this season, but very, very disappointed in the show. That's about all I'll say. As for House of the Dragon, I am very happy that I stuck this out because the last two episodes have been flat out tremendous. Uh, this one had perhaps less drama, but it had all of the intrigue that you would want. Uh, we had King Viserys officially passing away. We had all of the fallout from there. And I'm not going to just run down the recap. I do that in the, the weekend warm-up column that comes out every Friday. But I did think it was very interesting. And a couple of things that, that really stood out to me, the scene 
in the uh the scene with the green council which was the the name of the episode uh, where Otto Hightower and all of his minions on the council are are plotting the coup that's about to happen everything that happened in that scene was tremendous from queen alicent having the realization that she thought she was doing the right thing uh, by honoring her husband's wishes when in reality he was pretty much dazed and confused and had no idea who he was talking to and in fact was not talking to the correct person uh she's just trying to do what he wanted the reality when it hits her that her father and the council were going to plot this coup anyway and they were they were really going to uh go forward with this no matter what whether it was king viserys's dying wish or not the look on her face is pretty tremendous and pretty telling and it's 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 one of those great things that the game of thrones universe does where these characters who may have some good in their nature get thrust in these impossible positions where they're almost forced to do the wrong thing or they're associated with doing the wrong thing and you can see that she knows what's going on is wrong and in her heart, she understands that the nature of what they're doing and why they're doing it is not lining up with what she believes King Viserys really wanted. So that scene alone was well worth it. We saw Sir Harold Westerling throw down his cape from the King's Guard. He was no longer the Lord Commander of the King's Guard. He walked off, which is kind of crazy that they let him walk off. But I guess when you're the biggest badass in the room, there's really not much that anybody can do about that. Uh, to me, you know, when you have a scene that powerful and you see all the great things that happened in that scene, the rest of the show you would figure would go downhill, but it did not. We had a lot of good interaction between Princess Renera. Uh, not Princess Rhaenyra, Rhaenys, sorry, too many of these Targaryen names are all <laughs> are all uh, too similar to me. But Princess Rhaenys and Queen Alicent, the discussion they had about wanting to sit on the Iron Throne. And then, of course, we had the escape of Rhaenys to get her dragon at the coronation of now King Aegon. And the dramatic entrance she made in on the dragon, that was about the only problem I had with the episode because the timing of how she went from being in the crowd to getting her dragon and getting the the dragon out of the dragon pit and all that, it just, it was the typical timing issue with Game of Thrones. They wanted to do something. They wanted to have this forceful and impactful <laughs> entrance and they did it, but the timing of it made zero sense at all. And I know it's a freaking show about dragons and it's filled with incest and all kinds of nonsense. And I should probably just check that reality at the door. But that was about the only thing that bothered me. The timing of Rainey's going to get that dragon and how quickly she got back into the coronation. But prior to the coronation, the whole hunt to get now King Aegon and, and how we had the two different parties going to look for him. Of course, there was Eric and Eric Cargill who... Just the way that the story was told is those two were looking for Aegon. And of course, we had Sir Kristen Cole and Prince Aemon also looking for him. The way that the story developed about what Aegon had been up to, why he's in the state that he's in, how he had been living his life, and how it sets up for these four characters, Sir Kristen Cole, 
Prince Amund and the Cargill brothers and how they're all going to go and what they'll be doing as this what will be a war really kicks off. I thought it was really fascinating and really well done. And this is the this is what I was looking for. This is all the stuff that I was looking for when this show debuted. And I felt like we did not get it early on. But now I feel like we're getting that true Game of Thrones feel where the story is just seeping in and it's it's making you want to get more of it. It's making it's really capturing your attention and how we're getting this story without really being having having them have to show the story has just been excellent. So uh, the one thing that I I think that has maybe bothered me about the character development, and it's it's with now King Aegon. When we saw him as a young kid, he was really cocksure. He was he was very cocky, and he was a good warrior from what we could see. And then all of a sudden, he as he became an adult, he's either passive, he's almost like a wuss, you know, for lack of a better term that I can use here. It just did not seem one, not very king like, but two, seems like he just was apathetic about life, which was kind of weird from where his character was and how he was very, very arrogant and very, very sure of himself. Now, of course. He doesn't appear to be that way, and he's absolutely not the right person to be sitting on the throne, but that is all beside the point. That is going to set up what should be a pretty dynamic season finale, and then I guess we're going to get at least one more season of it. I know that uh, George R.R. Martin had called for a total of four seasons, but we're at least going to get that second one, so uh, very happy with having made the investment to watch this, I swore I was not going to watch this show. I was so scorned from the way game of Thrones ended and, and how it was just a mess over the last couple of seasons, but I'm glad that I checked in on this. I'm glad that I'm watching it. And I hope you guys are watching it too. Cause it's a lot of fun uh, to talk about when we have that weekend warm up column on Fridays on, on the site. Uh, I will say this house of dragon probably generates more discussion than Byron on those Friday mornings. And that's kind of the whole point of the weekend warm up uh, column that we have. Yeah, sure. Of course, there's a lot of Byron in there, but um, it's a lot of things you would want to talk about and, and distract you from work at the end of the week. I know when I was uh, a cube dweller, when I, when I was going into an office every day, I tried to always earmark Friday as the day I effed off all day. Um, I would work my, my ass off all week. But I wanted that Friday to where like I didn't have to do much, right? And a lot of the work that I do is is deadline based, so I always set myself up really nicely to have easy Fridays where I would typically just like surf the web, uh, read, do a lot of reading. Man, I knew everything. I was up on every single sport, every team that I follow. I knew everything because those Fridays were were well spent, and it was just uh, it was what I like to do. So I'm hoping that for some of you, the weekend warm up, this podcast and the column that we run provides that little bit of relief on a Friday to where you don't have to think about work. You don't have to think about all those stresses of life. You just get to unwind and talk about things that help you get through the day. And that's in the end what it's all about. So that'll wrap it up for this one. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, thanks for hanging in there. I know we cover a lot of different topics here, so I appreciate that you guys roll with it 
and keep coming back for more. It's really awesome of you to do that. And trust me, it is very, very appreciated. Uh, you can always get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get my main man, Tom Adams, the Tweetmeister at Tommy Adams 71. You can get the mysterious one, I need no name at BFWINNN. Uh, please check out Samarin's preview podcast for the Hoffenheim game. She does such good work on those. Um, really can't say enough good things about the work she does. You also might want to check out I Need No Names post-game show from the day of Bay Pokal. There's a lot of content going on, going on right now at BFW, not just in terms of our posts, but also with the podcast. Things are are really, uh, really active. So stay up on everything Bayern Munich and German uh, with Germany, the, Germans na- the Germany national team. Get all the latest and greatest news at BFW. Thanks again for listening. Have a couple of beers on me and we will see you next time.